And um, we, we began a new series on Sunday mornings, Why Following Jesus is Hard, Contended, Contested, or something like that, because we see. Um, and it is difficult to follow Jesus. It's, it was, and last week, we were thinking about some of the obstacles to following Jesus we might find in our lives. Things like our own nature, or the environment of the world that we live in, or the spiritual forces of wickedness that are against God. And back in the day, the, the church used to speak about the world, the flesh, and the devil. These things make it hard for us to follow. They, these things could trip us up. So that's where we started last week. This week, we want to think about giving you some tools that can help you follow Jesus, because following Jesus is hard, because sometimes following Jesus is like building on a rock. In Matthew 7, Jesus concludes that kind of Sermon on the Mount with um, a message which, which is tied up with a little parable about two men. One was building a house on sand, and when things were shaken, when the tides came in, when the storms fell, it didn't stand. The other built his house on a rock, and when the storms came, it stood. We live in a time where the world is being shaken, where... Christians need to have a life that's built on a rock. And just at the start of the pandemic, we quoted that verse from Hebrews quite often. You know, when everything that can be shaken is shaken, we're receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken. And we didn't know then about the cost of living crisis or the war in Ukraine or all the other things that are besetting the world. We know right now the world is in trouble. There's a climate conference going on right now because the world's in trouble. Things are being shaken. And around the world and around our nation, churches have been very disrupted. People have, have, um, have, have not maintained faith. They've not maintained discipleship in the face of trouble. And today, we, we believe that following Jesus is vital, not just for us personally, but because of the influence that followers of Jesus need to be in the world today. And we want to give you, on this, this Sunday morning, just some tools about following Jesus. What, what will it help you to build your life on a rock, how can you dig deep, how can you overcome that resistance to get some tools to help you do life well going forward when everything that can be shaken, you won't be. And I'm going to hand over to Hazel to introduce the first two of our five Ps this morning. The Ps of the Lord be with you, Hazel. Thank you, Dave. Great, well, it's lovely to be with you this morning. Um, my name is Hazel, as a lot of you know already. Um, so we're thinking about discipleship, as Dave said, and, and the first tool is practical teaching. It says in Acts 2 that um, they devoted themselves continually to the apostles' teaching. And Jesus taught his disciples really practically about how to live, you know, his way, how to do life in a kingdom way and a kind of upside down way. We look at the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus taught about how to fast, how to pray when you give to the poor, what, how to kind of live in a way that um, is how he wants us to live. And very practically, the disciples asked, you know, teach us to pray. And Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer. And I wonder how teachable we are. Are we as teachable as the disciples? Because we are disciples, we're apprentices of Jesus, and we need teaching if we're going to grow. We're always absorbing information. There's always kind of messages coming to us, ideas, thoughts. But who is teaching us and what are we learning? And what, what we let into our lives and into our, our minds, it affects the way we live. It affects the way we think about God as well. I have my life verse is Proverbs 4.23, and it's in a big wall sticker, a bit like the sticker at the back. In my kitchen, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. We need to be 
be careful about what we are feeding on. Does what we're listening to, is it true? Is it biblical? Does it align with what God is like and what God says? There's a verse in Hebrews 5 which says this. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good and evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. And that's what we want. However long we've been following Jesus, we want to be moving and growing into a place of maturity and changing into the likeness of Jesus being transformed. And we, but we need a balanced diet. We often fill up on junk food. We're often lazy. And if we are what we eat, then are you hungry? Am I hungry for growing in things that are good for me, the things that will help me in my discipleship with Jesus? What's your appetite like for teaching, for growing, for learning about how to follow Jesus better? And what are you, what are you feeding on? Is it, is it nourishing you? Is it healthy? I've got three boys. They're all at secondary school. They come in. They are so hungry. They go straight to the toaster. And they put in bread, and they put in bagels. And I'm like, no, 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 just, just a quick, just one bagel. Uh, and they always put in more bagels because, you know, that's what they do. And I'm busy cooking a really healthy meal with vegetables. We're all going to sit down and have a nice meal together. And, of course, when we get to the meal, they say, I'm full. No, they don't say I'm full because that would make me really cross. They say, oh, not too much for me. And I think, actually, you've just filled up on stuff that was quick and instant and easy, whereas actually the benefits of eating a healthy meal with vegetables in and something that's going to nourish them and feed them and make them healthy is, yeah, takes more effort, but the effort far outweighs, the, yeah, the benefit far outweighs um, the effort in the long term. And I would suggest that Sunday mornings, the teaching that we get here is great, but is it enough to sort of sustain us? And how are we engaging with the teaching um, that we have here at Woodlands? I think we need to be proactive in pursuing teaching that will enable us to grow and to change. It's really easy to be passive, especially when you've been a Christian a long time. I became a Christian at 13, and I was from a non-Christian family, and I basically just read loads and loads of books. I read books about prayer, books about What's Amazing About Grace, books about the spiritual disciplines. I read testimonies about Jackie Pullinger. I just fed myself with books. Now, you might not be a book person, but this was before the internet, and that was all I had, really, and church. But I was hungry to grow, and I think that hunger can sometimes wane when you've been following Jesus a long time. Now, I'm a teacher, and I work with really small children at the moment, and um, you know, I teach them things that they don't know. It's really rewarding. And I know that I know when they have got something because they do it. So say we're teaching them woodwork, how to use a drill to make a hole, how to use their hammer safely and do lovely woodwork with them. I know that they've got it when I see them doing it. And the Bible says, let's be doers of the word, not just hearers. Let's put into practice what we've heard Jesus say, and let's grow in our discipleship by listening to good teaching. And Jesus says, I'll know you're my disciples if you obey my commands. But we want to be growing in understanding what the commands of Jesus are. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Let's practice in the night what we learned in the day. 
It will sustain us in times of struggle, in dark nights, in tough times. If we have invested in our relationship with God in terms of understanding and growing in knowledge of him and how he wants us to live. It's a discipline and it will sustain us. We want it to sustain us. We want to go deep, as Dave said. So practically, what will help you grow? Maybe you're not a book person. Maybe you're a podcast person. Brad listens to loads of podcasts. There's some amazing things out there to help us. We don't want to be people who are just, you know, with the, on the kind of um, the latest fad or the latest person. We want to have a diverse and balanced diet of what we listen to and what we watch and what we kind of let into our spirits and our hearts. Is it helping us to grow? And learn with other people. You might want to do, a, I do a Bible study each week and I learn with other people about what it looks like to follow Jesus and understand the Bible as well. The Bible project is incredible. There are loads and loads of videos. There's Bible studies, there's podcasts. There's so much of it. There's almost too much that we can grow sort of so full of knowledge. But we want to be people that work out that teaching in our lives in following Jesus. And we want teaching that will challenge us. And, and the reason it's hard is because anything that brings life to us is contested and challenged. But actually, we want to um, yeah, fill ourselves with truth. Don't do nothing. You won't grow if you don't feed yourself on good food, not just the bagels, not just the junk food, the good food that's nourishing your spirit and your soul. So the second P I'm going to talk about is private devotions. We've looked at how we can feed ourselves with good teaching, biblical teaching, um, and thinking about what Jesus said in Matthew 6 and the Sermon on the Mount that I referenced. He says, go to your room and close the door and pray. And God will see what is done in secret and reward you. Our devotional life with God, what we, some people refer to as quiet times, our times with God, that rhythm of spending time with God in the secret place, the private place, it's just between you and God. No one else can do it for you. There are no shortcuts. Our devotions and our time with God need developing if, again, they're going to sustain us when things get hard. What does it look like to develop a secret history with God or have that private devotional life with God? It looks different for all of us, and we're all going to um, do it in different ways. But it's important that we, you know, as disciples of Jesus, that we spend time with God. And he loves spending time with us. And I think we can, you know, it's tempting to skip time with God. It's tempting to make excuses and, and not do it. But actually, we want to get into rhythms of spending time with God. I think when you have private devotion times, when you close the door and it's just you and him, it's the truest version of you. <laughs> it's, the, it's the best version of you when you just come completely. It's not for anyone else to see. It's just between you and your father. It's a place of transformation in the presence of God where we learn to hear his voice. We come to him in prayer. We kind of, everything kind of comes out in a very honest way, what it does with me where we can read and we can absorb the truth and we can be in a place where we, we feel like there's transformation happening. But why is it so hard to get a rhythm? I've been following Jesus for a long time and I, do, I find it hard to get that rhythm because it's easy to, to fall out of it. But we want to have consistency, don't we? I really want to encourage us to have consistency in our rhythms of devotions with God. And we, you know, we all agree it's really important whether you've been following Jesus you know, for not very long or for a long time, you'll hear it said, actually, it's about spending time with God to get to know him like any relationship. 
And it's challenged and contested because anything that brings life, there's pushback from our flesh, from our enemy who does not want us to spend time with God. And it's a vulnerable place to do. Sometimes you're spending time with God and you, and you feel it's a bit barren or a bit empty and you're not really sure sort of, you know, it can feel kind of difficult. But actually, I want to be, the, I want to be somebody that wants to want to, to spend time with God and keep that going. And I wonder whether we've got enough secret history with God to lean into and enough relationship with God from our private devotions that will sustain us when things get tough. The reality is if we don't invest in our secret history with God and our private devotion times, they, then we won't have enough to, to hold on to in those roots and that rock. And like in Matthew 7, building our lives on a rock where we know that we're loved and we, we know the nature, and the nature of God. Um, I've read loads of books, as I said, loads. Um, I'm definitely a book person, but the best book I've ever read on um, kind of developing private devotions with God is this book. It's by Ruth Haley Barton. It's called Sacred Rhythms. The subtitle says, Arranging Our Lives for Spiritual Transformation. And it's a really inspiring book. It's really practical, but it's absolutely inspiring and brilliant. And I would highly recommend it about sort of learning how to yeah, grow in your private devotions with God. Thanks, Hazel. That's inspiring for me. Thank you so much. When, when the reason we want to offer five Ps to you today is because sometimes we can reduce discipleship just to one element. Oh, if I just had enough teaching, I'd be fine. If I just had enough devotions, I'd be fine. Actually, probably holistically, we need all of these things in our lives. So the third area, the third P, is personal ministry. Now, first of all, one thing you need to know about me is I'm a lazy person. And left to my own devices... I will not be very active in pursuing things that are really good for me. Uh, and there's something about responsibility which I've been offered throughout my life, which has always been good for me. And I've tended to say yes to responsibility, and some of that has been Christian responsibility. So as a kid, youth groups, Christian union at school, you know, various bits and pieces. And if I hadn't said yes to responsibility, I probably wouldn't be here today, because for me, doing ministry has been good for me. It may have not have been good for everybody else, but it's been good for me. Because for me, there's something about that which um, I'll explain some of the benefits of personal ministry. So I think, you know, I'm a big, big kind of fan of, of the recovery movement, 12-step movements. And I don't know, many of you may have been, you've either been involved in 12-step movements or you know people have been. I used to run a day center for people um, and... A lot of people who visited that center were, were in recovery and, and practiced the 12 steps. And um, there's something about uh, one of the mottos of the 12 step is you keep what you have by giving it away. You keep what you have by giving it away. You keep yourself sober by helping someone else be sober. And that's why in the recovery movement, sponsors, mental figures are really key. More of, more of that anon. But there's something about ministry which is giving away what we have, which helps us hang on to it. If you do Alpha, you can get quite addicted to Alpha, can't you, Rachel, Melissa? Because you're hanging around with people and you're giving away what you've got and it's just wonderful. And it's so inspiring being around people discovering faith. It actually helps your faith. There's something about ministry giving stuff away that helps you hold on to what you have. We, we love to, ministry has all kinds of 
personal ministry. What does that mean? It means all kinds of things. Ministry literally means service, doesn't it? Serving God and serving people. And it might be that, that ministry does look like serving God by introducing people to Jesus, reproducing the life of Jesus, evangelism. It might mean it, something like the kind of prayer ministry stuff that we do here week by week. And uh, one of the things we love to do at Woodlands is, is, to, is to practice inviting the Holy Spirit to bring his good work into other people's lives. We call that a prayer ministry. It might be praying for healing. It might be praying for someone to, to be full of God's Holy Spirit or to be set free from things that hold or bind them. It might be to bring a, a revelation, a word from God into their lives. And um, when you do that, it's really good fun. You can get addicted to prayer ministry. You know, Claire Thompson, she's a real champion for prayer ministry in our church because she loves it. In the Bible, we, we see um, in, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sending out 72 people on prayer ministry. He says, go on, out you go, heal the sick, drive out demons, preach the good news. And they come back really excited. They've had a great time. It's probably been challenging, but they've had a great time. They said, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus, they were so excited, Jesus had to calm them down. They said, Don't get too excited. Just remember, your name is written in the book of life. But honestly, prayer ministry, partnering with the Holy Spirit, I'm in touch with the supernatural. It's great. Why would you not want to do that? And um, the other thing about prayer ministry, or any sort of ministry, actually, it might be justice. It might be going on a soup run, like people are doing tonight from this church. It might be standing up for justice. It might be campaigning. But so often when we're in ministry, we feel the heart of God. And we need to be in touch with the heart of God, the heart of compassion, for men and women, for young people around the world. And it might be that I'm doing a fundraiser for, you know, I'm, it might be like Ella going off to see Annette in Iraq and find, I'm on a ministry trip and my heart for God is, is changed by doing this, you know. So I really want to commend personal ministry. At Woodlands, one of the things we say is, if you're part of Woodlands, you're recruited. Everyone's a minister. You're all ministers here today. And there's something particular that you can do that no one else can do. Now, it might be that you need to be equipped in ministry. In Ephesians 4, it talks about kind of the classic things that we call Christian ministry. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. And what Paul says as he writes there to the Ephesian church, he says, the gifts of, uh, that Jesus gave to the church, these, these roles, are there to equip the saints for the work of ministry. In other words, a minister is there to help someone else become a minister. It's just to keep giving it away, to help people grow. And, and so my job, Hazel's job, Rachel's job, whoever's leading here, our job isn't to do the ministry, but to be partnering with all of us that we can all do ministry. So you're all ministers here today. Is that all right? You're all recruited. And maybe just be thinking through, what is my ministry right now? You might think, gosh, I'm... I'm at home, I'm, I'm looking after little kids, I, can't, I haven't got much um, opportunity. But probably God's going to connect you with other people looking after young kids where you can really encourage them and speak into their lives. It may be that you're in a, a workplace doing a really demanding job, but how much is that job that you're doing right now also your ministry? A place where you could be an influence in the workplace for the kingdom of God in all kinds of ways. So you're a minister. If you need to be equipped, particularly on prayer ministry, we would love you to come to our next prayer ministry training course because it's really good fun partnering with Jesus and it's really good for us. It really helps us to grow.
The next theme of our piece, P number four, it is providential relationships. Research has indicated that people who are disciples that do the long haul of discipleship have had somebody in their life, probably someone who's been there for the long haul, someone consistent. It's really important with young people that we have providential relationships in our lives. When I was uh, at 17, um, I had a friend called Jerry Anderson. Jerry moved to the, the small town where I lived, and he was a farmer. He was a herdsman, actually. He worked for a farmer, and he would uh, you could do all, bring all the cattle, do all the milking. And, and I could just go and hang around with him and go up to the milking shed as he was looking after the cattle, do a bit of silage making in the, uh, in the summer, and, and spend time with Jerry Anderson. But the thing about Jerry was he was a proper bloke. You know, he's a proper example of Christian manhood. Uh, he's in his 20s, late 20s, um, but he loved Jesus. And when I was with Jerry, it was very natural to feel the presence of Jesus because Jerry carried something of that. And for me, that was a providential relationship. My son, Ben, is often here on a Sunday morning. He's not here today. Um, but Ben's the youngest of my, kid, my, my five kids. I've got four boys. And, uh, you know, Ben, he's restless. He's always been restless. He came out of the womb restless. You know, he was, <laughs> he was an, an active child. And honestly, church is the last place that Ben wanted to be, really, because he'd rather be playing football or doing anything, really. Very restless, restless chap. And um, as, a, as a youngster, you know, we, me and Tina, prayed for providential relationships for Ben because Ben needed people in his life who were not his mum and dad. He, he needed friends. He needed role models. And actually, into our lives as a family came Hudson Daniel Sam. Or some people thought Sam Daniel Hudson because they couldn't work out which way around it was. But it was Hudson Daniel Sam. And, um, and he came to live with us, a student at university, then moved into our community house. And he really invested in Ben. And Hudson's a fantastic guy. Who knows Hudson here? Do you remember Hudson? He's a great guy, isn't he, Hudson? Great friend to Ben. My, my, my nephew, Dave Churchill, came to study at Trinity College. Dave's proper bloke, you know. Loved his football, loved his music, loved being naughty, but loved Jesus. And for, for Ben, providential relationships, they so helped. I remember taking Ben and Sam Leach, um, who's the same age as Ben, to New Wine. They're 14. They're still friends today. They went there to New Wine together. Friendships, providential relationships, we need those in our discipleships. So I want to say to you, first of all, who has been in your mind, in your life, a providential relationship? Have a think. So we thank God for those people right now, for those people who in our lives made a difference, were examples to us of what it meant to follow Jesus, who guided us at challenging times in our lives. We thank you for those people, God. And who can you be a providential relationship to? I had a, a message in the week from somebody who's normally here, not here today actually. He said, I'd love to find a mentor. How do I do that? I haven't replied to that email yet actually. Finding mentors can be tricky because we all want someone who's a little bit further on than us, a spiritual mentor. But actually, maybe we can step up and be that person for somebody else. Can you be a providential relationship? Can you notice someone and befriend them? You know, I, I, yeah, I, th I think of, um, how did it happen? I know, I know for, for Tina, actually, my wife, um, uh, when, when our kids started at Cottom School, just down the road, she and a couple of neighbours started a tea club where they would just meet and have tea together, and they'd be watching for the kids to come out of school at the end of school. And um, I think 
Tina turned into a providential relationship with those women, those neighbours. Really helped them at key times in their lives. Crisis time in their life, bereavement for one of them when her husband prematurely died. And they still meet up every week. And um, that's led to real explorations of faith. It's providential relationship. You could be that person wherever you are. So we've done personal ministry. Let's, let's go through them again. We've done practical teaching. We need teaching that's not just head knowledge, not just heart knowledge, but heart knowledge that turns into action. We need personal devotions because what's below the waterline is much more important than what's visible above it. We need to go deep with Jesus. We need personal ministry because giving away helps us to keep it. And we get to partner with the Holy Spirit and see him at work. And it's so encouraging. We need providential relationships in our life. But the final piece, pivotal moments. There are moments in our life where something happens that just changes everything. For the disciples in John chapter 2, a bunch of disciples came with Jesus to a wedding in Cana of Galilee. They saw Jesus do an astonishing miracle. They saw him change at least 120 gallons of water into wine. What's not to like about that? But, uh, you know, Jesus did this miracle. It says in, in, in John chapter 2, verse 11, the disciples saw his glory and put their faith in him. Something happened there which shifted the way they saw Jesus. Who I don't know what they thought Jesus was before that, but they knew there was something special about Jesus. It may be that in your life, something has happened, a pivotal moment that's changed the way you see Jesus, and it's changed everything else. You've had an encounter with Jesus that's changed everything else. And I would want to commend putting yourself in a place where you will be exposed to those out-of-the-ordinary times with God. Honestly, we need the drip feed of regular worship and fellowship like we have Sunday by Sunday. Young people need that. They need the drip feed of those relationships and that practical teaching. And there's opportunities, you know, our young people today, they're making sandwiches for the soup run. You know, it's practical ministry. But we try and take our young people away. We used to take them to Soul Survivor when that happened. Last summer, we took them to Dreaming the Impossible, DTI. Joe was there. He took them. He had a great time. It was inspiring, wasn't it, Joe? And they had some pivotal moments. Some of those young people came back having had an encounter with Jesus, which was transformational. Even though Joe had done his best week by week, being their youth minister, obviously, you can see why they need those pivotal moments. <laughs> no, um, we, we miss you, Joe. Um, but um, it, it was great that they had that exposure. And actually, we need that too, don't we? Why not consider this year thinking, new wine is going to happen. It's going to be in Kent at Detling. Maybe go along. You might have a pivotal moment, okay, a prophetic word that, that, that happens because of that heightened expectation. I remember Nettie going along to new wine, and, and she was just in such a place of, of things of really challenged her. She looked like she might not be able to keep her home. And um, just getting a, pro a prophetic word that changed everything for her at that conference. And, and we've probably all had those moments. I've certainly had those moments. Pivotal moments, they can look very different to that. They're not always the mountaintops. They may be the valleys, the valleys even of the shadow of death. A pivotal moment this week for Ginny and her family was Richard's death. And Ginny was so 
grateful that you've come today. And we're so grateful for your faith, actually. And we see in you and your children and your sons and their partners a below-the-waterline faith, which means that for you guys, when something has happened that's devastating, you have turned to Jesus. And I know that you will keep turning to Jesus. And it's not going to be easy because following Jesus is hard. It's hard when the pain of loss is very real in our lives. But for you, this pivotal moment is a time when you can lean into God. Sometimes difficulty and even tragedy makes us lean into God. Sometimes when all the kind of momentum of life and our well-ordered worlds are disrupted by pain, that is a pivotal moment when we wake up and we realize we need God. C.S. Lewis said, God, pain is the megaphone with which God gets our attention sometimes when we really need that. And um, in those pivotal moments, what's God going to do with you? My hero, John Wimber, used to say, suffering can make us bitter or it can make us better. How do we handle the pivotal moments of life to help us become followers of Jesus? So that's the kind of five Ps we want to give you as tools today. We want to encourage you to embrace the amazing opportunities for teaching that there are in the world today. We want to encourage you to go deep in secret so that your public Christian life is only the tip of the iceberg. It's the private stuff that's really going to help you. We want to encourage you to be ministers. We want to encourage you that relationships, whether it's personal relationships or the relationship of being in community, actually, being in a small group, that's also a providential relationship set for you to be part of. And we want to encourage you to use the pivotal moments of life to let you turn to God rather than turn away from him. So we're going to go back into worship for a few moments, but we'd love to invite you for prayer today. And today you may have been touched by something in the world, in the worship, in the talk. It may be that you've come today with a need for God in your life. Perhaps today you've come thinking, I could really do with prayer on that one. Maybe you've come today and say, actually, I really need to get that off my chest. I need to share that with somebody. It may be today you're saying, I need a word from God because I'm confused and I'm in trouble. When we go back into worship, we'll invite you to stand. And then if you'd like someone to pray with you, if you make your way over to the left-hand side here where we're lurking, we'd love to, to, to spend some time listening to God with you, praying for you. And that's how we're going to come into land in our service today. So let's stand. I'm going to pray. If you're able to, please stand with me. Father God, I want to thank you that you're good all the time. Your mercy is rich. And today you've got new mercies for us. Today, if, you, if, you, if that, even that phrase, new mercy, hits you, you need the mercy of God on your life today, then do come and find us. We'd love to pray with you.